things first. This is about truth telling. I have no agenda. Zero. I always have questions. What's the problem? That's just who I am. This is what No Mercy is all about. Hey, here I come. You can book it. Ah. This is the moment of a lifetime. The clock's ticking like my lifeline. Until I flatline, I push it to the red line. Who gon' stop me high? Who gon' stop me high? Breath taking a move that I make. I give it everything I got. Cause that what it takes. I push the limit till it break. The heart of the brave. The soul of a legend with the will to be great. Hold up. Welcome. <laughs> There are ass kickings that you can recover from, especially when you're in places like South Beach. Then again, there are ass kickings you cannot recover from, no matter where the hell you are. This is the Stephen A. Smith Show coming right at you. Buckle up. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the latest edition of the Stephen A. Smith Show. Actually, the, 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 the second edition of the Stephen A. Show, second edition of the Stephen A. Smith Show, because as you know, my show was called No Mercy, and now I changed the name to the Stephen A. Smith Show. This is the second Stephen A. Smith Show in the house coming at you, and I will be doing so at least several times a week, at the very least, Monday, Wednesday, Fridays, live, live, okay, 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific, make no mistake about it. There's a lot to get into, so I'm going to just get into it right now. First of all, before I do anything, we're here in the studio. Thanks to our official studio sponsor, FanDuel Sportsbook. FanDuel is the official sports betting company of the Stephen A. Smith Show and this podcast. Let me get right to it because it needs to be said. The Boston Celtics got their ass kicked. No surprise. For those who watched it, if you anticipated before the game that that was going to happen, don't lie and act like you thought this, you saw this coming because you didn't. This was some bad, bad stuff. It was some bad stuff. When you get your ass kicked, let me explain what I mean by that in the sport of basketball. It's not just the score, but it's when you literally resemble somebody that got their heart snatched out of their chest. When you've gotten punked, when you're so humbled and so defeated that the coach and the crowd see you sitting on the on the bench for the entire fourth quarter and everybody's like this. I understand. I understand. That's what happened to the Boston Celtics. On Sunday night. At the arena. American Airlines Arena in Miami, Florida. The sun was shining, the palm trees, a little breeze was there. Biscayne Bay was right there. Those yachts were all over the place and people were chilling. Folks were smoking cigars and, and hanging out and sticking out their chest and bloviating. And the Boston Celtics couldn't do a damn thing about it. That's an ass kicking. Now we can look at Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and we can lament how pathetic they were. Um, it was just a pathetic performance, but I'm not going to knock Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, but so much. Of course, I got to point the finger of blame for them. They combined for 26 points. Gabe Vincent, the undrafted Gabe Vincent, dropped 29 all by his damn self. And then I'm looking at some of these guys, these undrafted role stars for the Miami Heat in game three. Gabe Vincent, 29 points, 11 to 14 shooting for the field. That's 78%. Six to nine from three. That's 67%. How about Duncan Robinson? 22 points, seven of 11 shooting. Five of seven from threes. Did you see this brother driving into the paint and scoring on layups? Almost fainted. I didn't know he could dribble until yesterday. Okay? This is what Duncan Robinson did. Did you see Caleb Martin? Who, by the way, not only scored 18 points and 7 of 11, shooting 4-7 from three-point three point range. He's averaging 19.3 points in the series. Second on the team to Jimmy Butler. 63% shooting, 47% from three-point range. I ain't gonna mention how many times they were going into the lane. I'm not gonna mention how many times that Bam out of bio dunked on somebody. I'm not gonna remember that spin move he put on Jalen Brown that put him on his ass. I'm not gonna even mention that. I got something else on my mind to mention. Justice. 
pure justice. I'm going to beat the hell out of that narrative in the days to come because boss is going to get swept. I'm going to beat that narrative. Let me explain. This is the same organization that got rid of Ime Udoka. Remember him? Now the head coach of the Houston Rockets, but suspended at the start of this season. Reportedly, allegedly, due to an affair that took place with someone within the organization, purportedly married. Remember all of that? How's it look right now, Boston? Because Joe Mazzulla, although he's done a good job and he's got them in the conference finals, is clearly getting schooled by Eric Spolstra. It's a different level. There are two different levels to this. Eric Spolstra, who's a two-time champion, who's been to the NBA finals five times as a coach. That Eric Spolstra is just taking this brother to school. Eric Spolstra is a Hall of Fame coach, and he's got Joe Mazzola looking like a rec league coach. It's that bad. There's that big of a discrepancy. And I'm not saying that somebody like Joe Mazzula should be fired because it's not like I'm saying the man can't coach or doesn't know basketball, but he's had his bad moments in the playoffs. Misuse of players, not making sure guys get the ball in the fourth quarter, not calling timeouts to stall runs, sitting up there trying to be all hardcore like he's in an octagon or he's in a martial artist class because that's what he does, right? Instead of sitting up there and just being cool. And then and then Sunday night, he's trying to take the blame for everything. It was so excessive, we got tired of hearing it. All right, stab yourself already, damn it, damn. That's how much he was doing it. But guess what? That ain't the story. The story is that he shouldn't have been in that position in the first place. He should have been an assistant coach on the bench. One would argue. I'm going to say to y'all what I said again. And I don't mean to offend people. I don't even mean to offend white folks. Because we all brothers and sisters at the end of the day. We got our issues and all of this other stuff. But I believe everybody's a God-fearing individual. Let me explain something to y'all right now. Black folks ain't the only people that had sex, you know. Black folks ain't the only person that's been screwing around in office. I've been covering sports for 30 years. You know how many white dudes I know who were screwing around in the office with an employee or dare I say a subordinate? Did they lose their job? Yes, they did. In most instances, absolutely true. You know what never happened? It never got publicized. Because it was an HR matter. It was none of our business. So we're going to throw Ime Udoka to the wolves. We're going to protect the woman he was messing with, who was allegedly married and white. But we're going to sit up there and have no regard for his woman at the time, the great actress Nia Long, who is the mother of his child. I can bring that up because Ime Yudoka admitted during his press conference as the new head coach for the Houston Rockets weeks ago that he had to go into therapy with his son because of the damage inflicted upon him, obviously through Ime Yudoka's transgressions, but most importantly, because of how it was publicized. I'm going to repeat this again. I've been covering sports for 30 years. I'm not asking you. I'm telling you. I know white dudes who have screwed around in the office with subordinates. And whether they kept their jobs or lost their jobs is not the issue I'm debating. Or not the issue I'm lamenting. I'm saying it was an HR matter. Even if they were fired, you didn't know why. But you threw Ime Udoka to the wolves. See, that's the bullshit that happens to black people. When it happens to somebody white, tell me what, take the, the, you know, pick up the phone, let me know. It's that kind of discrepancy that pisses me off. And the Boston Celtics first class organization for the most part, I know a lot of people within that organization I got a lot of respect and love for. 
but how Rick Krausbeck, the owner for the, for the Boston Celtics, one of the owners, and whoever else was in on it with him, in terms of simply how they handled it, vexes me. They may not have been the ones to leak the story. Somebody did. It may not have been them. But having that press conference with Brad Stevens sitting next to you to talk about a coaching change because the coach was screwing around in the office. Boston is getting what they deserve. Jalen Brown wasn't happy about Ime Udoka's dismissal. Marcus Smart wasn't happy about Ime Udoka's dismissal, even though Jason Tatum was tight with Joe Mazzulla and obviously was a proponent of him succeeding Ime Udoka. He wasn't cool with that decision. They were instructed from what I've been told and from what all of us who cover the NBA has been told. Players were instructed not to even really talk about it. But what was worse was they were instructed not to even talk to Ime Udoka. You would have thought he committed a crime. Last time I checked, he ain't the one married. See, we want to talk. But we don't want to really, really get into the weeds of it. I don't blame you. I'm not even going to. I'm going to say Boston getting ass kicked. I don't mean this towards Jason Tatum. I don't mean this towards Jalen Brown, even though they got to step up and be the stars that they are. I don't mean this towards Marcus Smart or any of the players that they have. I'm just talking about the organization. This is justice. You brought this on yourself. You deserve it. Let me transition to the Los Angeles Lakers and my condolences to LeBron James. You're about to get swept. Not the most pleasant thing in the world to say. Just being factual. If LeBron James gets swept, it'll be the third time in his career he's been swept. Got swept in 2007 by the San Antonio Spurs. Got swept in 2018 by the Golden State Warriors. He's about to get swept tonight unless the miracle happens. And the, or the Denver Nuggets. It's really not a miracle. Here's how it will go back to Denver. If the Denver Nuggets say, you know what? We'd rather celebrate in Denver. We don't feel like celebrating here. It's the only way. They're the better team. Jokic is averaging 27, 14, and 13. Anthony Davis is averaging 28 and 14, and it still don't matter. The Lakers, damn good job by Rob Palenka in getting Rui Hachimura and Beasley and, and Vanderbilt and D'Angelo Russell. Congratulations to him for turning this team around and, and helping to get them. For, Rob Palenka is the MVP of this team this year or what he was able to do to change this roster around. D'Angelo Russell, my brother, you should just go someplace and hide. Really, you should. What an atrocious performance this series against the Denver Nuggets. I mean, my God. He's done nothing. Just nothing. Austin Reeves needs to play more to point. Push Schroeder up in there with him. Leave them in the backcourt. Bring Beasley off the bench. Let Hachimura play some backcourt unless you want him guarding Jokic and, and Anthony Davis playing free safety on the front line. But D'Angelo Russell, he's not ambidextrous. He's a one-armed bandit, and against the Denver Nuggets, that ain't going to work. And Jamal Murray is a star. Just reminding y'all of what he was before he got injured. Because remember, the last time we saw Jamal Murray in the playoffs for the Denver Nuggets, because he's been out the last two years because he was injured, last time we saw him in the playoffs, they were in the conference finals. So he's just putting everybody on notice. I'm back. Busting ass. That's what he's doing. So it is what it is. That's where we are. And LeBron James is about to get swept. Now, I know for some of you out there, it's a perfect opportunity to bring up the Michael Jordan, LeBron James comparison. So you know I'm here for it, right? Because you know I have these stats. I have these numbers. And you know that I wasn't going to forget to bring them out of here. Because it's important, y'all. It's important because I know some of y'all are going to talk. Um, the obvious, you do know that MJ has six titles, right? And LeBron has four. You do know that, right? You do know that MJ was undefeated in all six NBA Finals appearances. Do you know that? You do know that Michael Jordan never allowed an NBA Finals series to get to a seventh game. Did you know that? I'm sure you did. Did you know he's a 10-time champion? And LeBron has won a scoring title one time? 
Did you know he's a nine-time first-team all-defensive player? LeBron James did that five times. Did you know that Michael Jordan is the former defensive player of the year, 1988? LeBron James has never won a defensive player of the year. We're talking about what you do on both sides of the court, and we're talking about Michael Jordan, in my mind, being the greatest, but not throwing any shade on LeBron James because he's the worthy number two. But he's about to get swept. By the way, Michael Jordan, he got swept twice, just like LeBron did. But it was in best of five series in 86 and 87 to Larry Bird, McHale, Robert Parrish, Dennis Johnson, Danny Ainge and those boys. In a best of five series. Michael Jordan has never gotten swept in a best of seven series in his career. By the way, and I don't want to take any credit away from my brother, Chris Broussard, who works for Fox Sports. He and I are tight. We go back decades. I love him like a brother. I don't want to take any credit away from him. I was listening to him the other day talk about the Jordan-LeBron comparisons. And Chris Broussard made a point that obviously I know, but because of the bevy of things that are on my mind, I might have forgotten to bring up at that time. Do you understand that during the LeBron James era, there were debates as to whether or not he was the best in the world because Kobe was still playing at one time. Tim Duncan was still playing for a large chunk of that time. And ultimately, Steph Curry has been playing a large chunk of that time. Do you know that when Michael Jordan was playing, there was never a debate ever as to who was the best in the world? Did you know that? There was never a debate. Even before Michael Jordan won the title, in 91, from 88 on, it was clear that Michael Jordan, even with Larry Bird or Magic Johnson winning championships, it was clear that Michael Jordan was the best player in the world. Larry Bird called him God in gym shorts. Magic and them wanted to get at him when he showed up in Barcelona for the dream team. And Michael Jordan said, there's a new sheriff in town. They didn't give him the mantle. He took it. That's not the case with LeBron James. And I saw my man, Joe Budden, who, by the way, has a great podcast. And I got a lot of love for that brother. I've been a guest on his show before. Probably will be again in the future. I got a lot of love and respect for him. But he's talking about, you know, he's sitting up there drinking, hanging with his boys, doing this podcast, talking about ain't no debate about LeBron and Jordan and, 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 you know, look at who LeBron played against. Look at who Jordan played against. My brother, I, I regret to inform you that you must be considerably younger than me. I don't know what the hell you were watching. There's a debate about that. Matter of fact, if it ain't a debate, it's on the other side to my man, Joe Budden, who I got mad love for. And I root for that brother all the time. We just talking LeBron MJ. I wouldn't argue with him, though, because believe it or not, his voice actually could get louder than mine. Believe that. It's, I know that's impossible to imagine, but it's true. But he's wrong about this LeBron MJ debate. I just say all of that to say, Congratulations to the Lakers for a good season in advance. You're going home. Exact Galifianakis in the movie, The Campaign with Will Ferrell, as he said, we're bringing our brooms because it's a mess. Never thought the day would come. We're in the same series, maybe about 24 hours apart. We'd see the Boston Celtics and the Los Angeles Lakers both get swept in a playoff series, let alone a conference finals. Instead of them meeting each other, they're both going home in similar unceremonious fashion, 4-0, because I think both of them are going to get swept. Could be wrong about Denver, because they might take the day off until they just want to close out in game five. I doubt I'm wrong about Miami. The Lakers are just losing to a better team. Boston got their heart snatched from them. There's a difference. And I'll leave it at that for now. Before I go to break, there was a fight, my transitioning to boxing. There was a fight Saturday night. Lomachenko, Sally Lomachenko versus Devin Haney. Devin Haney was bigger, 
obviously a very skilled fighter, extremely skilled. And I thought that he won a lot of the earlier rounds. Took it to Lomachenko, a lot of body shots, very thorough, the whole bit. But as the fight waned, Lomachenko got up in him. The 10th and 11th round, convincing wins for Lomachenko to a point where I thought he had Haney hurt and that he was about to take him out. I was scared for Haney. Haney ultimately survived. 12th round was close. He got a decision. One drug, one judge needs to be drug tested because he had to fight 116, 111, or 110. That is, a, that is ridiculous. Having said that, however, the other two judges had it close. Like 115, 113. I thought it could have been a draw or a very, very slight decision to Haney because he won so many of the earlier rounds. I want to applaud Lomachenko. The guy didn't lose and retire and go someplace, ladies and gentlemen, and just showed up again. He departed from the sport of boxing as the face of that division to go fight the war in Ukraine to help his countrymen after the Russian invasion. We forget that. When you talk about respect for him and the Klitschko brothers, I just can't say enough. How many of us would do that? How many of us would do that? They, th they did it without blinking. Mad respect and love for them. Truly, truly feel that way. But Lomachenko came back. No warm-up, no tune-up. Got in that ring, and that was a hell of a fight. Hell of a fight. A lot of people going off about the decision. The only problem I had with was with Devin Haney's father. Talking about, oh, well, we need a rematch for, you know, this fight was lopsided. I mean, please, bullshit. What that was is you protecting your son, saying you don't want your son to get back in the ring with that brother. That's what that was about. But by the way, Bill Haney, hell of a job training your son for that fight. Showed a lot of skill, a lot of ability, and you clearly know what you're doing as a trainer and props to you. But don't tell us the fight wasn't close. We ain't blind, bro. We ain't blind. But if y'all don't believe me, y'all don't want to listen to me about that. I got somebody you'll want to listen to. He's up next. The former light heavyweight champion of the world who retired years ago undefeated 32-0. His name is Andre Ward. He's coming up next. Don't touch that dial. This is the moment of a lifetime. Uh -huh. The clock's ticking like my lifeline. Until I flatline, I push it to the red line. Who gonna stop me high? Who gonna stop me high? Well, y'all heard where I stand. You know how I feel about it. I mean, it, it was that close. It was that tight. But to hell with what I have to say, because live right now with me is the former undisputed light heavyweight champion of the world who retired years ago, undefeated, I might add, an unblemished career, the great one himself, Andre Ward, who did a great job calling the fight, by the way. What's going on, Big Tom? How are you, man? How's everything? Good, I'm good. Good to be on with you. What did you have to fight? Who did you have winning the fight Saturday night between Lomachenko and Haney? Steven, listen, man. This is similar to my first fight with Kovalev. Mm. Anytime there's a fight this close where somebody, you can't find a person on the planet or it's going to be hard to, to find somebody that say uh, Lomachenko won by more than three rounds or more than two rounds. Most people have it 15-13 Loma, a draw, or 15-13 Devin Haney. If you concede any one of those three scorecards, you also have to concede that the fight could have been swung the other way with the same scorecard. There are too many rounds that are called swing rounds. A swing round is a round where if you are scoring the fight, which 99% of the people in the arena were not, right. you're holding a pen over a piece of paper saying, ah, who yeah. do I give that? It can go either way. Nobody can sit here and say, I know that all my swing rounds swung the right way. It is a close fight that could have gone either way. You know, I looked at it. I had it a draw, Dre, because I thought that okay. Haney law, I thought that Haney won most of the early rounds. But I thought Lomachenko was the constant aggressor late. I thought the 10th and 11th round, he was dominant to the point where I thought Haney was in trouble. And I thought in the 12th round, he won, although that was closer than the 10th and 11th round. So to me, it was so close. 
I gave Haney a slight edge, but then I looked at it and I said, you know what? I wouldn't have a problem with a draw. If I had to score a winner, I would have given it to Haney, like you said, maybe by one round because of the early stages, but a draw would not have been a problem for me either. What did you think about Bill Haney, Devin's father, saying there's no need for a rematch because it was it, it, my son won in convincing fashion. I'm like, that's parental bias or somebody yeah. needs to be drug tested. That was not a, a lopsided fight at all. No, it wasn't lopsided. He's a father, so he's going to feel that way. But but here are the options that, you know, Devin Haney has. I know he wants big fights. Yep. And he's talking about Javante Tank Davis. I don't think Tank is going to fight him right now. Um, so that put that to the side. You got Shakur Stevenson. I would love to see Devin Haney fight Shakur Stevenson. I don't think they want that right now because when I hear Devin Haney talk about Shakur Stevenson, it sounds like it's an up-the-road proposition. We're talking legacy, and the biggest fight outside of those two fights that I just named, you have to. You don't have to, but you have to run it back with Lomachenko. That's a legacy That's a legacy play right there. That's a, okay, since you guys feel like I didn't get it right the first time and since the fight was as close as it was. I need to right this wrong. You go into a different stratosphere in terms of legacy from that standpoint. That's probably his biggest moneymaker right there. So I believe that they should take some time off, take two, three weeks, do whatever you got to do, enjoy the fruits of your labor. But then when we come back to the table as a team, I think Lomachenko has to be on the table. Well, I will agree with you. Let me say this. I agree with you. He needs to stay the hell away from Javante Davis. He needs to stay away from Tank Davis because Devin Haney does get hit a little bit too much, and that's not somebody you want to get hit by. That's number one. Number two, Shakur Stevenson, promising. 20-0, 10 knockouts. But I'm I'm like – I wonder whether or not he's earned it at this point. I'm not talking about his resume. I'm not talking about his skill set. I'm talking about what the fighters ahead of him. Does he deserve the Haney fight right now before Lomachenko rematch? I say no. But I ask you this. If you're Devin Haney, should you really, really want that rematch? What did you learn from Haney in this fight against Lomachenko? Look, look, man. I'm not falling for the 42 fate. And what I mean by that is, is all the public outcry and this and that, I'm threading the needle, bro. Like, I'm a lifer in this game. Okay. And I ain't just a guy that fought. Like, I studied this game since I've been nine, ten years old. Studied it. Mm-hmm. That's the best Devin Haney has ever looked. That's the most complete he's ever looked. Wow. When you look, Bill Haney gave the game plan. He said, look, we know what he's going to do. He's going to try to do the step around, get to Devin's angle. We're going to step with him. So, in theory, it sounds good, but you got to watch and see if you can execute. I saw Devin Haney in control of the fight early. You could tell when when Loma would make that step around that matrix move, Devin would step with him. He would stay close. Of course, Loma's going to have moments. But Max always says, who would I rather be in the fight? For the majority of that fight, I would rather be Devin Haney because it looks like Devin Haney is in control. And you got Loma, who's the smaller so the smaller man, the shorter man, the shorter armed man, constantly trying to look to get inside. And I see Devin prodding him and poking him and keeping him on the outside. The other thing that I don't think Devin Haney got credit for was the body work. Yes, he was. A lot of body shots. A lot of liver shots. That stuff don't make it on Sports Center top 10. But if you know boxing, that's not only a scoring blow, but that's a devastating blow to get hit with. And I made a comment about it on the air. I said Lomachenko's left side is completely reddened by the body shots of Devin Haney. Devin Haney fought a very controlled fight, even when Loma came on in the 10th and 11th round, which was two beautiful rounds by Lomachenko. I didn't see Devin Haney fall apart. So I saw a lot of growth. I saw a lot of maturity. And Devin Haney did what he was supposed to do by coming and winning that 12th round. If Loma wouldn't have gave up that 12th round, on two of the three judges' scorecard, we would have had a majority draw. Two judges would have had it even. One judge would have had Devin Haney Mm. ahead. So that almost would have forced a guarantee rematch. They didn't have to, but the outcry would have been too much. But Dre, uh, educate us about this, because obviously you being a champion, you did 32 and 0 with 16 KOs in your career before you retired, by the way. You know, I wonder what are we to make of the smaller guy that is Lomachenko? You're smaller. You're not the stronger guy. Yet. You were on the attack. You were taking those body shots and you were going at Devin Haney. What are we to make of a Devin Haney against a Javante Davis, a Ryan Garcia, a Teofimo Lopez and others when we saw the smaller guy be on the attack as the fight waned? 
Well, I saw it as it went. Yeah, I like how you put that because there was a lot of times that Devin was on the attack. That's right, early, was the early. Attack. There was ebbs and flows, yeah. and that's what I loved about this fight, man. It was a great fight. It's ebbs and flows, you know, different game plans being employed. As far as Javante Davis being a shorter fighter, man, we talk a lot about the power, but dude got skills. It's mad skills. He from, he from Baltimore, and – that group, that Baltimore, D.C., DMV area, man, them boys know how to coach. They know how to fight. Yeah. And that's going to be a tough out. That's going to be a tough out. But it's, so if I'm, if, I'm, if I'm with Javante Davis, we got to deal with the length. We got to deal with the skill set of, of, of Devin Haney. But you just have to know that, that Javante's going to land that shot at some point in time. Yes. And it's going to be explosive. And, and the question is, Devin, can you take it? So that's not a, that's not a fight. If I'm Team Haney that I'm running from, right. this is what you this is what you ask for from a monetary standpoint, from a legacy standpoint. You just want the opportunity to rise. Right. So I'm not running from that fight, but it's a dangerous fight. Is there anybody else in the lightweight division that's dangerous for Devin Haney? Yeah, I don't think we're giving Shakur Stevenson enough, enough juice. I need to give him I need to give him some more juice. I think we need I'm to give him a lot you, more Dre. juice. I'm gonna listen to you. Yeah, you yeah, tell I me we... I need to give him more juice. I'm gonna give him more juice. We need to give him a lot more juice, man. Shakur Stevenson is gonna is gonna run the game for a very, very long time. And that's a dangerous fight for Devin Haney as well. Mm. I'm not betting against Corey Stevenson against nobody. You got to show it. You got to prove it. You got to show me. Um, but, you know, the big the big takeaway from this weekend, Stephen, I got to be honest, man, it, it, it's really disheartening because, you know, it's a lot of people, a lot of casuals, right, that show up to the fight. Right. And they got an opinion. And you can have an opinion. We all can have our opinion, mm -hmm. but they start to try to control a narrative that's not actually true. You got to take the word robbery out of this conversation. Mm -hmm. It was a close fight that could have went either way. Maybe your guy didn't win, mm -hmm. right? But you right. got to net out who was in the arena that actually bet on the fight. You got to net out who was actually watching the fight. You got to net out the crowd that was pro Lomachenko. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of different variables that we don't factor in. People ain't going back this right. week unless you are in the business or in your position where you want to make sure you got it right the first time and go rewatch it. It's just a lot of narratives, man, that 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 is taking away from a great performance from Devin Haney, right. a great performance from Lomachenko. This fight outdid what people thought it was going to well, do. Well, it definitely outdid what people thought it was going to do, but let me come to the defense of the public in this regard. I don't Talk think that me. was against the fighters. I think it's against the sport of boxing because on too many occasions throughout history, we've seen officials take a decision right. into their hands and ignore what the rest of us saw. Now, that's not applicable in this fight. I give that to you. But that's where it comes from. That's where that cynicism is born from, which is why somebody like me doing a podcast, I sit up there and say, let me get Andre Ward in. Yeah. I remember, you remember we were in Vegas and I'm sitting there. We had the Triple G Canelo yeah. fight, right? The fight number two. And I'm sitting up there. This, I'm going to tell everybody this funny story. I'm sitting there talking about, man, I thought Triple G won. I mean, come on now. I mean, give me a break. Yeah. And you were like, yo, those body shots, Stephen A, that Canelo was hitting him with. And I said, wait a minute. There's four of us standing here. It's the undisputed yeah. lightweight champion, light heavyweight champion of the world. It's the un it's the middleweight champion of the world, Jamal Chalo. And it's Jamal Chalo, his little brother, who was the welterweight champion of the world. And me, I said, I think I need to shut up. I think I, this is a, this breaking news. I think I need to shut the hell up because I'm the only one here that ain't a damn champion, let alone a fighter. It was y'all. But I just say that to say, talking to you, the public's going to be educated, bro. See, to me, if the public is interested enough to complain, that is a beautiful thing for boxing because then boxing is getting the attention it deserves. And then we get to listen even more to people like yourself drop some knowledge on us. Yeah, I appreciate that, you know, and I, I just but but everybody don't have the mindset that you have to be able to know, hey, man, maybe I don't understand. Right. You got people, Stephen A, that really believe that they're experts in the sport oh, Lord. and that. Yeah. Yeah. Th that the water cooler talk is going to supersede what happened on the telecast. That's and right. it's just it's just. But you, you, I know you deal with it every day. They, they, I, I deal with it every day, every day, all the time. But listen, man, before I let you get on out of here, so you want the rematch. You had Haney with a, with a, with a slight decision. I just, you want I the just, rematch. I just, I just think that's the play. Monetarily, legacy-wise, right. get some rest, bro. Don't talk about boxing for a month. But then when you double back, that, that, you got you to gotta write that wrong. Only one thing you're not considering. 
And real quick, let me clarify real quick. I don't mean from the standpoint that you need to concede that you lost. If you feel you won, you won. It's that kind of fight. But I mean, same with me with Kovalev. Like, I felt like, bro, I'm not going to apologize for winning a close fight and getting off the canvas. But since y'all don't believe I won. You came and finished him the second time. Let me write that controversy. That's right. No question about it. But you thought Haney won by a slight decision. You want the rematch. Last question on this subject, because I got to ask you something about your documentary coming out. I didn't realize that was coming out. So I got to ask you a question about that. But. You, you, what have you considered that Lomachenko might beat him the second go round? And if that happens, how devastating that would be for his career for a Shakur Stevenson or Javante Davis fight down the line? Have you thought about that? Yeah, absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely. Mm-hmm. It, that is, it's that close where it, it ain't no. But that's why the fight will sell because there's no gimmies. You got a large, you know, uh, contingent of people that feel like Haney lost and. Obviously, Haney's group, and it's not just people thinking he lost. There's a lot of people that think he won, too. They're not just being heard right now, but it's that kind of fight. We don't know, so it's going to be more people that tune in on pay-per-view. It's going to be more people that show up to the fight. So I, I think that's the fight, man. I think that is that fight's going to have tremendous buzz, man. And from a legacy standpoint, Loma gets to right or wrong, right. and Haney gets to, gets to shut some of the noise down. It's a great opportunity for both guys. Let me transition to you personally. You got a docu- a documentary coming out. I believe it's on Showtime. It's coming out in the next yep. week or two. Talk to us I'm about sorry. that real quick and tell us what inspired you to do it. Man, it's just, uh, it's time. You know, a lot of people ask me why. And, and you know, you got you to gotta realize that when you come up a certain way, I heard you say multiple times with your book, I couldn't write my book until my mother passed. Right. Unfortunately, I just couldn't do it. My father's gone. I didn't feel like I had the right to tell his story just yet. My mother wasn't ready and I wasn't ready. I'm an 80s baby. I'm not, I, I don't go broadcast my life and my family's life to sell tickets or get people in an arena or to buy pay-per-view. This is a sacred story to me. But it got to a point, Stephen A., where with the amount of guys that I that I mentor and knowing my sphere of influence and my position that I'm in in the world, like it started to become selfish to not share. Mm. And Doing this documentary with Showtime, Uninterrupted slash Spring Hill, all the guys over there, man. I love it because I'm hands on and they gave me the opportunity to fashion and form this story the way I thought and we thought it should be fashioned. And it's not a puff piece. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a lot of eyebrow raising stuff. Trust me, you're going gonna, you gonna to want to talk after you. That's right. After you, you know it. me, I'm going to call you and, back. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and the book is to follow, man. So it, this next year for me. It's going to be real good, but it's going to be it's going to be heavy because, you know, it's going to be a lot of heavy stuff be, being put out there to the public. When's it coming out? Uh, the, the documentary is June 2nd on Showtime. Okay. We're still waiting on a release date on the book. Let man, listen, you're one of the best athletes, one of the best people I've ever known in the history of professional sports, man. I got a lot of love for you, a lot of respect for you. Keep doing your thing. We're going to talk soon, man. And I appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to join me today. Thanks a lot, bro. Nah, bro. I appreciate you. No man. doubt. is the moment of a lifetime uh-huh. the clock's ticking like my lifeline until i flatline i push it to the red line who gonna stop me high who gonna stop me high switching from the world of sports let me say something <clears throat> i'm not the kind of person that engages in incendiary rhetoric about politics or politicians Although certain issues and the people who hover over them in the political stratosphere get on my last damn nerves. That's not ammunition I like to provide because, A, it's not like I have the bills in front of me. It's not like I'm an aficionado on this subject. And more importantly, um, you never know how those kind of things could come back to bite you because people engage in revisionist history all the time about political issues and politics and stuff like that. But I do think it's perfectly within my right to say when someone looks like a damn fool. And in the case of Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. At this pace, he might go down as one of the stupidest people I've ever seen. And we know he's not stupid. We know how smart he is. We know that the man say what you want. He's a highly educated, highly intelligent dude. I'm not calling him stupid. I'm saying his actions will have you thinking he is. This is a man that won re-election in Florida during the midterms by 19%. It was a romp. After barely winning his election first go round, 
Years later, he wins re-election by a landslide. When you sit up there and you look at people who talked about him and what he brings to the table, okay? They sat up there and they called it the future. DeSantis was nicknamed the future because of that landslide victory in the 2022 midterm elections. You look at Florida being a tax-free state. You look at the economy thriving. You look at all the things that's going on. Beautiful weather. Everybody want to go there and retire. Have more money in their pocket. Business is thriving. It's a mosaic. Blacks, whites, everybody living there. Cubans, other Latinos. We see all of that. Even with the issue of the border, as much as it may have abhorred and infuriated Latinos, those who are about fairness, that preach about, okay, immigration reform and making sure you're here legally and getting in line like everybody else, that's not the most egregious thing to say, feel, or hear. So when DeSantis took these positions, particularly with the divisive tendencies of Trump hovering over this nation. It was easy to surmise that, guess what? Nikki Haley ain't going to win the election in a lot of people's eyes. Tim Scott, who just announced he's running for the Republican nomination to be president of the United States, the, you know, the Senate out of South Carolina. Nobody thinks he's going to win. My favorite of the Republicans is Chris Christie. But there are doubters on, the, on that side as to whether or not he'll be able to pull it off. Everybody believes it's going to come down to Trump and DeSantis. And then DeSantis, over the last few months, comes across as a dude that has lost his damn mind. The latest. I mean, bad enough, he's incited anger from immigrants. Bad enough, he's pissed off a whole bunch of women because of his position on abortion. On abortion rights, I'm sorry. Bad enough, all of that stuff been going on. But now you've got a situation. And by the way, when I bring up abortion, I'm talking about signing that strict six-week abortion law. They say most women don't know they're pregnant until 15, 20 weeks in. This man is banning abortion after six weeks. Clearly stripping them of their rights to that choice. I, for one, am against abortion. But I am pro-choice because I don't believe any man should have a right to tell a woman what to do with her body. It's just that simple to me. Maybe I'm simplistic in that regard. I don't know what to say, but that's where I stand. But in the end, if you're DeSantis, it's bad enough you've alienated the Latino community. It's bad enough you've alienated tens of millions of women. Because I assure you, even though you have a, an abundance of women against abortion, most would like the right to make the choice for themselves as opposed to having male politicians dictate those choices for them. Now we get to this latest stuff. And this is where it hits home for me because I'm a black man and we're talking about the NAACP. Let me put on my glasses to make sure I read this accurately right here. The NAACP issues a travel advisory warning. I'm sorry, the NAACP issues a travel advisory warning black people not to travel to the state of Florida. I sincerely hope I don't have to remind y'all that the NAACP stands for the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People. I would like to believe y'all know what the hell that is. Anyway, I digress. The NAACP on Saturday issued a travel advisory for Florida over Republican Governor Ron DeSantis' aggressive attempts to erase black history and to restrict diversity, equity, and inclusion programs in the state's schools. The organization said in a statement, quote, under the leadership of Governor DeSantis, the state of Florida has become hostile to black Americans and in direct conflict with the democratic ideals that our union was founded upon. This is according to NAACP president and CEO Derek Johnson. He should know that democracy will prevail because its defenders are prepared to stand up and fight. We're not backing down and we encourage our allies to join us in the battle for the soul of our nation. Only advice I would give to president and CEO Derek Johnson is 
eradicate that last line. Soul of our nation, you sound like Joe Biden. A whole bunch of people ain't happy with Joe Biden right now. You don't need to sound like him. Just stand on your own. Having said all of that, Derek Johnson goes on. He says, he added, failing to teach an accurate representation of the horrors and inequalities that black Americans have faced and continue to face is a disservice to students and a dereliction of duty to all. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm just looking at this. I'm looking at further research notes, a college board, a nonprofit organization that oversees the AP program nationwide moved to revise its framework for the curriculum after state officials said they rejected it because of six areas of concern. This is what concerns Ron DeSantis has. Black queer studies, intersectionality, movement for black lives, black feminist literary thought, the reparations movement, and black struggle in the 21st century. Not to mention it also includes um, removing works by Kimberly W. Crenshaw, Bell Hooks, Angela Davis, and black authors. Respectfully to the governor, Ron DeSantis, who obviously has offended Latinos, blacks, women. Have you lost your mind? Or do you just want to throw away the election. Is that what you're trying to do? I mean, in in the history of sports, we've seen people and we've reported on people who've thrown games. From the Black Sox scandal for crying out loud, even though those people were exonerated. To other things that may have happened, like a Tim Donaghy or an official betting on the game in the NBA. The point that I'm trying to make to you, Governor DeSantis, respectfully, is you don't want to win a Republican nomination. Some people ask that question and they'll say, Stephen A., what are you talking about? It's a rhetorical question because it ensures you won't win a general election, just like Trump won't win a general election. There's going to be too many people that vote out of fear of the divide that he'll cause as opposed to analyzing and dissecting policy and making a decision then. Ladies and gentlemen, make no mistake about it. This society is hell right now. On the left, we got the woke culture. That has invaded the Democratic Party in a lot of people's eyes. You got rising taxes. You got, yes, the economy looks good in terms of numbers, but the labor participation rate was questionable at best. You have a situation right now where we're looking at the streets of America. We're seeing violence all over the damn place. Gun laws needing to be addressed, not being addressed. And accurate or not, the perception is the Biden administration with Kamala Harris is not as good as we thought it would be. And there's reports every day that even the Democrats don't want him running. Joe Biden's going to be 82 years old. 82! Not engaging in age discrimination. But there does come a point in time in your life where you should be spending time with family and loved ones as opposed to working. How about that? Kamala Harris, I don't know how to judge a vice president, but I don't know if anybody's ever told this to Kamala Harris. So I'm going to tell it to her because she's an HBCU grad. She's a sister. I got love for her. I actually root for her, but I'm going to tell her right now to her face what her biggest problem is. You giggle too damn much. You do. Every tough question is like a stall tactic. What does stall? Say, hmm, take a deep breath and then answer the question. As opposed to somebody as you could. <laughs> and then you got something to say. No, we want to hear what you have to say. You are a highly intelligent woman. You are a former senator. You're the tie breaking boat in the Senate. You're the vice president of the United States. You are a proud black woman. We love you. We respect you. And we know there's more to you than that. 
But sound bites matter in this day and age. And when the first thing you do is giggle, they're going to play the giggling and not play the substance that you add thereafter to give the impression that giggling is what you do. You can't do it. You got to get rid of it. Unless you're at a comedy show. You're the vice president. This is the way it goes. But with all of that stuff going on, here's the belief. Anybody will beat the Biden-Harris ticket on the Republican side outside of Trump. Until you came along, DeSantis. You had him in the palm of your hand. But I know what DeSantis is doing. He wants to win the Republican nomination because he knows there's no way in hell anybody from the right would vote for Biden Harris in the election. His goal is to win the Republican nomination. And in order to do it, let me mirror Trump and make sure I get voters from him. DeSantis ain't competing against the Democratic Party. He's competing against Trump. He ain't worried about Nikki Haley. He ain't worried about Tim Scott. He ain't worried about Chris Christie even though I'd like him to worry about Chris Christie. He's not worried about any of these candidates other than Trump. And his goal is to get Trump's constituency. Trump and Nikki Haley have chided him for mimicking Trump, duplicating Trump, all of that stuff. Doesn't matter. Ladies and gentlemen, that's what he's doing. He's appealing to the MAGA right in every way, shape, form, or fashion. But you know what that makes you, DeSantis? Trump, which means that the fear that he instilled in so many people because of the wild card that he is, is exactly what you're going to be. That's what's going on. None of the Republicans are worried about the Democrats. They're worried about Trump. How do we beat him? Except DeSantis is going overboard. Because he's not just currying votes. He's offending large segments of our nation to do it. And in doing so, he even has Trump talking about him in sensible fashion. And I didn't even bring up what he did in terms of going up against Disney. And here's what I'm going to say. I don't know it. It's out of my lane. My day job is for Disney. We all know I'm rolling with Bob Iger all day, every day. I know the man personally. I know how brilliant he is. I've seen his brilliance for decades. But DeSantis, do you know who Bob Iger is? Do you know that this man doesn't play? Do you think pulling that project that cost the state of Florida in excess of a billion dollars? When he basically stopped the project to build different facilities there. Do you really think that's all? This is Bob Iger. This is Bob Iger. Disney's all over the place. Florida, L.A. or Anaheim, Hong Kong, France, everywhere else. Why would you get into a fight with Bob Iger? Why? I don't know what the hell is going on with that. And even if I knew, I wouldn't tell you. Because my loyalty also lies with him. But once upon a time, ladies and gentlemen, before all of this came to light, when I just looked at some of the things that he was doing in Florida, I was actually a fan. Of Ron DeSantis thinking that he was the perfect replacement for Trump. And maybe, just maybe, I could vote Republican for the second time in my life. Hell no, that ain't happening now. I just don't understand. You're costing your state money. You're alienating voters. All because you want to mimic Trump. That's what Bob Iger, if you want to. Many have tried. Ask them how it went. Let me get on out of here before I do. However, I got a couple of other things on my mind. On a lighter note, two things I want to bring to y'all attention before I get on out of here. 
Reading reports that Beyonce and Jay-Z bought a $200 million home. Um, breaking records is what they do. Uh, some people will label this unreal. According to Architectural Digest, the Queen Bee and Hover recently dropped $200 million on a home in Malibu. Um, this is the most expensive purchase for a private residence in California. It's also the second most pricey real estate purchase in the United States. The most was $238 million apartment in Central Park South. An apartment for $238 million. I'd love to see that apartment. I'd love to see that. I'd love to tour that. But anyway, this is on top of the power couple's $88 million mansion in Bel Air and the lower Manhattan pad in Tribeca where they were married. The music industry's couple power couple's new home is 30,000 square feet along the Pacific Ocean on a street aptly named Billionaires. It's an L-shaped compound with vast concrete hallways, as well as floor-to-ceiling glass ceiling, floor to ceiling glass panels. The expansive backyard boasts a pool and ends with a cliff that overlooks the beach. The seller was Bill Bell Jr., who was the heir to a soap opera fortune as the son of the creators of The Young and the Restless. It reportedly took Bell over a decade and a half to finish construction on a concrete property. Beyonce's current renaissance tour could bring in as much as $2 billion, while Jay-Z's net worth is $2.5 billion, more than enough to cancel out the record-breaking purchase. Let me tell y'all something right now. Money's relative. When you tell me Beyonce and Jay-Z, I'm laughing at everybody like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. They bought this house. It's $200 million. Oh, my God. It's Jay-Z and Beyonce. What the hell did you expect them to buy? A little nice house in Beverly Hills. It's called elevation, ladies and gentlemen. They elevate all the time. You ever see Jay-Z freestyle and rap and break it down to you? Watch him. Watch him break some of this stuff down. Take what's mine. That's what he says all the time. Congratulations to them yet again. Setting the example, doing what they do. I'm rooting for them all the time. And by the way, I've known Jay-Z for years. That's my that's my man. Love him to death. And Beyonce, I don't care how beautiful she is, how talented she is. She's even nicer as a person. She deserves everything she's getting. My last point is this. I want to talk about this because I just want to let everybody know that my heart goes out to Kim Kardashian because Kim Kardashian is having troubles in her life right now. She's struggling to sleep and I would know sleep apnea and having to really get up on my sleep and stuff like that. Using the CPAP machine from time to time, all of that stuff. I, I understand her pain, not to mention the fact that I'm a daddy. So I really, really understand her pain. Kim Kardashian on an upcoming episode of the podcast on purpose with Jay Shetty, uh, Kim Kardashian was asked about parenting and she responded, there are nights I cry myself to sleep. Like, holy shit, this fucking tornado in my house. Like, what just happened? She opened up about the chaos in her home, said that she sometimes gets through the night hour by hour to see if we're going to survive. She added, yes, it is the most rewarding job in the entire world. It is. There's nothing that can prepare you. I don't care how long you wait. I don't care what you're waiting for. You're never prepared. By the way, she's got four children. She shares with Kanye West, daughters North, Chicago, Saint, and Sam. She calls them the joys of parenting. She called the joys of parenting full madness at times. In December 2022, you know, she said co-parenting with Kanye, who had been under fire for controversial behavior for anti-Semitic comments, was so effing hard, saying she had attempted to shield her children from their father's headlines. That's a story for another day. I ain't getting into all of that. When she was talking to David Letterman on his Netflix show, which was great. But I will say this to you. She's not lying. Parenting is not easy. It's very, very hard. And that is all joking aside. And being a parent can be hell. But it's heaven every day. And I'm going to tell you why it's hell. Let me tell you the real reason why it's hell, ladies and gentlemen. Because you're never at peace if you're a true loving parent. Every day you get up, all day, every single hour, you are madly in love with your child. 
and you are insanely worried about your child. Are they okay? Are they safe? Is everything all right? Every day. That is the struggle, the emotional and the mental struggle. But her inability to sleep, I feel no pity. I should say no pity. But not as much pity as I normally would. Can you show the photo, please, that I'm looking for? You see that photo right there? Well, a lot of people can't sleep because of that either. That keeps a lot of people awake. I'm not talking about myself. I'm not talking about myself. That's not me. I'm a disciplined man. I'm focused. I got other things to prioritize myself with. But there are plenty, plenty of men that find it very, very difficult to go to sleep when seeing that. I don't recall her feeling sorry for them. So we're not going to feel sorry for her. I'm sure she finds a way to get some sleep when it's time. Till next time, everybody. This is Stephen A. signing off. Peace and love. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13, an Odyssey company in association with Stephen A. Podcast Productions. Episodes of No Mercy are available now for free wherever you get your podcasts.